0: I was just so proud. If, if you don't ever go back into that room, then uh, you don't really know what's back there. But we had some more things added back there. And the team that did that did an incredible job. It's incredibly well organized. So thank you for doing that and taking the time to make sure that that was taken care of and getting that in there. And I do definitely appreciate that. But then also for the group that was able to be a part of yesterday and to minister to the neighbors. And to, as I shared with some of those neighbors, they're like, uh, one of them specifically asked, like, why are you here? What are you doing? I was like, well, we're trying to to live out something that we started back in January of that we want to be intentional with those that we live with, that we work with, and that we play with. And in some ways, just as simple as living out the second of all the greatest commandments, according to Jesus, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And in this way, literally, the neighbors that lived on that street. And so whether you were a part of any of those things or not, it's just fun to be able to see our community of faith knit together of going forward with doing some things intentionally or with intentionality. And so thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for praying. Thank you for being supportive uh, in that endeavor. But as I got to thinking about the ability for that room to get organized, if you were here when we first began to meet into this, in this facility, uh, there was not some certain structures that were built. John and Johnny, and I don't know if there were others, but I'm going to credit those two specifically, helped create some of those structures, and it's actually quite sturdy and hardy, like... Uh, just about anybody could probably stand up there with a lot of extra weight and you're going to be perfectly fine because the foundation is solid. And uh, it, it's, it's quite impressive. But if that was shaky, if that wasn't built correctly, even though you're able to put some stuff on there, what I don't want to do is go in there and things start teetering. And then I'm wondering, am I going to get crushed by some kind of sound system type thing? I want to know that that has a firm foundation. And I say that because I got a couple of pictures for you. Uh, some of you have done construction and that kind of thing. Can we show that first picture? So, some of you know, like, if you're going to build, like, a, a, a decent-sized structure, especially like a skyscraper, one of the things that you have to do in order for that skyscraper, for that building to, to be built up, then you got to dig down. Like, you got to make sure that there's a firm, not just foundation, but even deep within the bowels of the earth to make sure that that structure stays sturdy, and that if you're on that top floor, you're not going to have to worry about that thing swaying to the point of where you fall. Let's look at the next one. Uh and so, again, this is just like you see kind of the depth at which these construction, work, construction workers are working in order for them to be able to begin to build up. And this last slide I just wanted to show you is you may not be able to see it super well, but uh, watch it online. You'll see it then. People online, you're getting a treat today. Uh, what you have is some of the tallest skyscrapers that are out there. But what's incredible is, is like, for example, if you look at, um, at, at the, the, the One World Trade Center in, in, in New York City, like this goes 150 um, Floors below the ground level, in order for them to be able to have that kind of structure to be built upon, your foundation, in order to have that stability, is absolutely necessary for you to be able to be built up or to be able to have that building uh, continue to go higher and higher. And the same is true for us in our faith, and in our relationship with the Lord. And what I want you to see this morning is exactly this, and what Paul is telling his friends at the Church of Colossae, who he's never met in person, of what they need in their life to have stability in the midst of maybe some, some hardship. And I know for... Probably all of us. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we came out of quite an unstable time when it came to, to, to COVID and everything, and just all the unknowns, and what are we going to do? Others of you might have experienced some instability in your life, maybe when it comes to job or finances or relationships, but it's this idea of how do I get stabilized within my life, but specifically be pointed and directed towards a purpose that the Lord has for me. And so let's read Colossians chapter 1, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Paul says, "'For I want you to know,' you might underline that, we'll come back to that. "'For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge.'" I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him." having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. What I hope that we see today is is two specific things. Is One is I hope that we see the sufficiency and the stability that is found in Jesus, and only Jesus, and always Jesus, that we find, that we see the stability, the sufficiency that is only found in Jesus Christ. So let's pray to that end. Father. Father, I'm praying that this morning that we may know fully the sufficiency of Christ in our lives, and that as a result of that, that yes, our lives would be stabilized regardless of what season of life that we are in, whether there's a storm or whether it's calm, Lord, that we know that we have all that we need because Christ is more than enough for us. And so if you would, would you just pray this morning, just say, God, help me to kind of redirect my gaze to you even in spite, maybe, of your current circumstances. And if you would, would you pray for me that I would preach this morning with a divine urgency and passion? Because what we look at today is important. Well, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, there's a few things I want you to know today, and that's just simply my first point. I want you to know, and we're going to build upon that. In these first four verses, it seems this idea of this idea of knowing or even knowledge that Paul is wanting to be articulated to his, his friends, again, who he's never seen in the city of Colossae, the church there at Colossae. I want you to know. I want you to understand. I want you to comprehend. I want you to get it. I want it to make sense to you. And the first thing that he says is just flat out, verse 1, for I want you to know my struggle for you. That's the first thing he wants them to know. He wants them to know, I care for you. There's a concern and a compassion for who you are. And even though I've never met you, I care for you. And even that word when he says, I want you to know how great a struggle Uh, If you're just looking at your copy of Scripture, just the previous verse in chapter 1, verse 29, the very last verse of that chapter, Paul uses the exact same word whenever he says, for this purpose I also labor in the word striving. It's the same word in the Greek. It's this idea, it's literally where we get the word agony from. Like, I'm agonizing for you on your behalf. I'm I'm in agony for you. I struggle uh, on your behalf, even though I've never seen you or I haven't even seen the, the city that's kind of next to you, kind of your sister city, Laodicea. I, I have a heart for you because Epaphroditus, or excuse me, Epaphras has, has come to my prison cell as I am writing these words, and he has reported to me, I've heard of who you are, and, I, and I've heard just the joy that you've received Christ as Lord, and that fills my heart. Like I, I have a, a compassion, a love for you without even knowing you, but I also have a concern for you that I don't want people to come into your life, into your community, into your church, and and lead you astray. I don't want these false teachers to to get you off track of the right track that you are on in your relationship uh, with Christ. And, And as he does this, sometimes this idea that we would struggle for someone that we've never known or never seen my hope is that that's what we would do as Mission Point, that, again, we live out the moniker of our name, that we would be intentionally missional, that we would minister to those that, yes, we see, but even those that we don't see, that it's a both-and kind of mentality and discipline. And, and the reality is that you, you do that whether maybe you realize it or not. My, my, my hope is that you do. You support this ministry with your time and with your treasure and with your abilities, as that's one of our values that we have as a church, that you're all in, And in your giving specifically to the church, just off the top, 15% is going out to missional causes, some of which we will never directly see the results of those. Some of it goes here towards the the Concord Baptist Association, 5% more of it goes towards the cooperative program, to where it's helping our, our missionaries, our journeymen, our our seminary students, to be able to have a cheaper uh, tuition, to be able to go to seminary and get their graduate degree. Like what you do, even when you put it in, put that thing in that little envelope or you hit the give tab on our website, it, it makes a difference. But my hope is that it's not robotic and legalistic. It's I'm doing this because I struggle on behalf of those I don't even see. It's beyond just the here and now and those that are right in front of me. That is important but it's also, it's beyond that because this is this is the faith. This is our faith, and we want to make sure that that's a part of it. So it's not only just when you give, but it's also when you serve. Case in point, like yesterday, the group that was able to gather on that street and serve and walk up and down that street, there were times where I'm over here pressure washing. I can't see or know what's going on over there down the street, but I know I'm on the same team, if you will, and they're serving, they're ministering, they're having conversations that I might not get to have because it's hard to have a conversation when you have a really loud pressure washer machine going on and I'm listening to literally a sermon in my ears as I'm doing that. And so I can't have that conversation. I can't see that's going on, but I know that we're working this together. People didn't see whenever I was finished and yeah, uh, stupid pressure washer wouldn't come back on. I literally had like this much, sorry, Lauren, this much left to pressure wash on one little section, had to put gas back in it, didn't want to start, finally got it started, so I'm there a little bit longer than I planned to be. But I also knew before I leave, I want to ring that doorbell, talk to this lady, and just let her know, hey, we wanted to do this, but also more importantly, we care about you. Is there anything we can pray for? Is there a church family you're a part of? Just having a conversation with her. No one sees that. I'm not sharing that with you, so otherwise I'm just losing my crown, all that kind of stuff. That's not the point. But this idea of what we don't see, it, 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 it makes an impact to know that others are at work and that there's a reason for us to give, a reason for us to serve, but also some of you've sent people. You've sent people in this church to the DR. You've helped contribute to making sure that that's possible. And you may never see the ministry that goes on in the DR, other than maybe pictures that we show you, testimonies that we share with you. But there's the same with Paul. He maybe didn't get pictures. I don't think, you know, um, Epaphras came with like a little drawing of, you know, this is what Timmy looks like from the Church of Colossae. He probably didn't do that. But what he did do is he shared the stories. He heard. And you guys get to hear about things that sometimes go on in a place that maybe you don't get to go, but you're a part of the sending. And I hope that you have a, a part of the caring, And you would want to struggle on behalf of those that you might not ever see. So he wants you to know the struggle that he has for them. I hope that we would know and that we would have a struggle, an agony, a good agony for those that we may never see because the ministry is bigger than just what's right in front of us. The second thing, I want you to know courage. I want you to know the struggle I have for you, but I also want you to know courage. It's literally, he says in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. I struggle in order to have your hearts encouraged or strengthened. Because again, as the church of Colossae is being assailed with false teaching, he's like, I don't want you to lose it. I don't want you to say, yes, Jesus, and then these false teachers come in and say, Jesus is good, that's a good starting point, but if you really want to progress, you need to add something to Jesus. You need to go a little bit more in this direction. That's a good starting point, but that's not where we want to end. We want to kind of really move beyond Jesus. Oh, may it never be for us. But as a result, the same is true for us today, is that we would have a courage within our hearts, within our minds, to stand up, and here's the key thing, for us to know what we know is correct biblically, theologically, morally right, ethically accurate, that we would have the courage to stand because we know the truth, because we have a base from which to pull from. And I, And I know that word that he uses in verse 2, he says, so that your heart may be encouraged. But oftentimes, and just about to a T of every commentator that I, I read from this passage, is that contextually, it seems like when he's using the word heart here, it's as it is in other passages of Scripture, where a lot of times, yes, in Scripture, heart is like the seatbed of emotions. And that's a lot of times what we kind of relate the heart to in Scripture. But sometimes, the heart actually becomes synonymous with, with the mind. Uh, for example, like in Proverbs In Proverbs, it it speaks about this idea as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. There's something that is just, it's not just beyond the emotions. And something that I think the church has been guilty of, uh, if we're not careful, is you've maybe even heard this before. It's not about a head knowledge, it's about a heart knowledge. And and I get that. But I would say both. (laughs) Both are incredibly important that we aren't just a people who are just moved by our heart, if you will, of emotions, but the heart, our mind, intellectually, that we grasp. We have an understanding of a correct and right theology, because if I just go based on my uh, emotions, though they are good and powerful, if I go just based on that of decisions that I make, that I do, that I don't do, Then what if someone comes along who's really persuasive, they got that silver tongue, and they're just that person that can be like, you know what you really need if you want to advance is you also need this. It's like, no, I'm going to be staunch, uncompromising in what I know to be true, biblically, theologically, and I won't be swayed with that. And so Paul says, I want your heart, your mind to be encouraged, to be strengthened, that you won't waver. And he says, this is a way in which hopefully that it happens. And courage is the verb, the participle there is having been knit together in love. What he says is, I want you to know not just courage, but I want you to know that within community, that you're not on your own. Sometimes we live the Christian life as if we're just by ourselves because we're really big, and I get it, because it's true. You only come into faith into a relationship with Christ personally. It's not a group think, it's not a whole mass of people walk up forward and say, Now we're all saved. It's, It's a personal relationship with Jesus. But we miss, if we're not careful, even with the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave His disciples, He said, when you pray, pray like this, not my Father, our Father. There's a sense of community that you are automatically uh, brought into, that when you personally place your faith in Jesus, it is a personal relationship, but you're automatically pulled into a community. And not just a community for the here and now, but we stand on the shoulders of a community that's before us and a community that's going to be after us because we are a part of the community of the body of Christ. And he says, man, I want you to be a part of this community and you're knit together and this is the thing, in love. That's how we're going to be encouraged in our hearts, in our mind, is that when we go through this life, we learn our theology with one another, we admonish one another, we warn one another, we teach one another, we correct one another, but it's rooted in this idea of love. Now, Jesus, he shares uh, the night uh, of his betrayal. He's just washed the disciples' feet, and he's hammering this point home in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, listen to what he says. He says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. They had just been arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And he's like, get over yourself. (laughs) You need to love one another, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that also you love one another. By this, here it is, by this, all men will know. There's that word, know again. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you love the person sitting behind you, to the side of you? You're like, I don't really know them. I don't care. Do you love them? And maybe get to know them, to develop more of a heart for them. It goes on in John 17, verses 20 through 23. I'm just going to read this passage. You can, you can listen to it. Jesus, this is again the night of his betrayal, He's in the garden praying the high priestly prayer over his friends, and us even. He says, I do not ask on my behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, this idea of unity. Remember, Paul just said that you'd be knit together in love, that you'd be one, that there'd be a community, that you may all be one, even as your Father, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He goes on and he says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Now, I share this because I found this from Francis Schaeffer. And Francis Schaeffer, I think, had this great quote on this specific passage. And a comment that he makes even right before it is He called the unity of the church, this idea of being knit together in love, the final apologetic to the watching world. And listen to what he says. He says, in John chapter 13, when he says, love one another, this commandment I give you, in John 13, the point was that if an individual Christian does not show love toward other true Christians, the world has a right to judge that he is not a Christian, because that should be in you if you are indeed in Christ. He goes on, But he says here in John chapter 17, verse 21, the high priestly prayer, Jesus is stating something else which is much more cutting, much more profound. We cannot expect the world to believe that the Father sent the Son, that Jesus' claims are true, and that Christianity is true, unless the world sees some reality of the oneness of true Christians. He says, now that is frightening. Should we not feel some emotion at this point? What that means is, You need one another, and the kingdom, in large part, is going to advance when we lean upon one another, and we are unified in purpose, and in heart, and in love, that we would forgive and bear with one another, that we would serve one another, that we love one another. You need one another. He goes on from there, other things he wants them to know. I want you to know that you know Jesus And that you have a proper theology. I want you to know that you know Jesus. He talks about this idea of I want you to have an understanding, a full assurance of understanding, a full knowledge of Christ. To kind of illustrate this, the whole reason why we need to know that we know that we have a full assurance is sometimes whenever I'm texting someone, they'll ask me a question and I'll use the three letters IDK, which means I don't know. And I think that's a a good response. There's nothing wrong with that response. In fact, I think we could do a lot better uh, instead of just throwing something out that we don't have any idea the answer to. Saying, I don't know, is a good thing. But in the course of our life, whenever we're struggling with not knowing something, it's hard to move forward. In fact, you kind of feel stuck. I'll give you a few examples of this. Let's imagine that you're in school. I know that terrifies some of you to go back there, but imagine that you're in school, and you've got to be able, maybe you're an athlete, and you've got to be able to pass that test to get that grade so you can play in that that contest, be in that event. And you're waiting to know, did I pass, did I not? If I didn't pass, I don't need to pack. If I didn't pass, I can't get on the bus. If I didn't pass, I don't get to suit up. If I didn't pass, I don't get to play. I don't know, what am I going to do? Or did I, did I finally pass the grade? Am I going to get to graduate? I don't know if I'm going to get to graduate, so I can't really prepare for college, or I can't prepare after college for the next thing. Am I going to actually pass the grade and get, and get the degree? I'm stuck in this moment. I'm not assured of what's next. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's this idea of, like, does she love me? I think she loves me. I'm going to ask her to marry me. I hope she loves me. Uh, otherwise, this is, going to, this is going to get weird really quick, I get, but I, I'm going to move forward because I got a feeling about this. I'm going to move forward with this, and in the end, though, you kind of feel stuck, because it doesn't feel like you're moving forward in that direction. Imagine you're out on a hiking trail, and you're with some buddies of yours, and all of a sudden, you get off the path because you want to explore. The next thing you know, you look around, you're like, that tree looks like that tree, and that tree looks like that tree, and I don't know which way is which, and none of you have a compass, and none of you know your directions, because you weren't a Boy Scout, and you're sitting there, and you're like where do we go? Someone says, I don't know. That doesn't help me in that moment. Uh, I thank you for telling me honestly that you don't know. And then one guy says, I got an idea. He said, let's just sit here, and I believe if we just feel the cool of the breeze, we'll know where the wind's coming from. And I'm like, how's that going to help? I don't know, but let's just feel it for a moment. I feel like we should go this way. That doesn't help me one bit, because that way might lead me over a cliff. And someone says, just follow me, guys. We're going to go this way. How do you know? I don't. Just follow me. I got a feeling about it. It's like, no, 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 no. Now you're not just stuck. You're in a dangerous position because you're going forward before you know exactly what it is that you're assured of. Ministry is the same. I've had a lot of people tell me, Does he really love me? Can God unconditionally truly love? Does he love me? Am I in Christ? Am I in him and he in me? IDK? I decay. I don't know. I've known many people throughout ministry that I've had the privilege to be able to pastor that struggle with I don't know. Am I in Christ? Am I a Christian? It's hard to move forward when you're wrestling with that. For others, it's, okay, I believe that I am in Christ. I know that I am, but can he really use me? I'm inexperienced. I don't have enough experience for him to use me, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think that he can. Or perhaps, you look at my past. I don't think he can use me. Look at my shortcomings. I don't think he can use me. Look, look at my age. I don't think he can use me. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't know. And what we need is we need a full assurance in order to be full of courage and go forward in this life, along with the others that are beside us, it's important that you gain a full assurance of understanding who Christ is and who you are in Him. Because if you wrestle with that and struggle with that, it's hard to move forward. You need to know that you are in Christ because you have received Jesus by grace, through faith, in Christ alone that you have a a basic of, here's what I'm studying, here's what I'm practicing when I'm studying, and I want to share that with others because I know it. Do you know your ABCs, if you will, the Christianity 101? I've had the opportunity to be able to disciple different guys in my life in this idea of, like, I want you to share your faith. I want you to be able to, to share what it is that you know, and I'll ask them, like, how do you know that you know that you're in Christ and, and I'll start going through with them some of the basics of Christianity. And sometimes as I'm sharing that, their eyes begin to glaze over, like a lot of people in the church, unfortunately, when we talk about the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, because we go, I've heard that. What else do you have for me? I've already been fed that. Feed me something else. Oh, be careful. And with some of those, when their eyes begin to glaze over, and they're like, yeah, I got this. That's the basics. I get it. Okay, you teach me. Tell me what a person must do to be saved. Like, well, well, I think there's somewhere in Second Hesitations that says, you know, if you really love Jesus, is that in the Bible? I don't know. And, and, and that's extreme. I get it. But if you can't teach it, you don't know it. If you can't teach it, you don't know it. And sometimes what people will say is, I'm not a pastor. I'm not called to, 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 to do that. That's a lie. Every one of you have an arena of responsibility. Every one of you has relationships. Parents, grandparents, would that fly in raising your children or grandchildren? I don't, I, it's not my responsibility to teach them. Yes, it is. Is absolutely your responsibility. And I'm not saying that you got to know all the answers. That's not at all what this is. You're in a process as well of learning and growing in Christ. But do you know the basic tenets of the faith? Do you know, as opposed to if someone says, comes to you, and let's say hypothetically, they come to you and and God has just put them, like teed them up on a platter, and they're like, What must I do to be saved? I want you to be able to go from beyond just simply saying, Well, when I got saved, this was what I felt. Take all the emotions out of it because we're talking about a full understanding, the mind. We're talking about a full knowledge of knowing what you know and saying, not based upon what I just have to say, but based upon the authority of God's word, not even my experience, based upon the authority of God's word, this is what it says of how you come to faith in Christ. This is what it says. This is what it teaches. Because I don't want you to base your faith and entrance into a relationship with Christ on my experience. I want you to base your relationship with Christ on the truth and the foundation of something that is unshakable, and that is the very word of God. I want to give you the basic theology and tenet of our faith. I want to give you the gospel. Also, if I could boil all what I just said down into kind of one little sentence, is you need to have settled in your life Christ's deity and Christ's sufficiency. Write that down. That's good. Okay? Put it in your Bible. You need to have settled in your life so that no one comes along with, you know, tickling your ear, if you will. You need to have settled in your life Christ's deity and Christ's sufficiency. That he is God, and everything you need, everything you need is found in him. That's sufficiency. He is all sufficient for everything that you need. There's even apparently some some hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like, you get it all. It's like, do I have enough? You have have enough and then some. Because Christ is divine, he is God, and he is sufficient. Next thing. I want you to know all of this. He says in verse 4, so that... You are never strayed away from the truth, that no one will delude you with their words or with their ideas or their philosophies. In fact, the basic attack that all false teachers of all time have normally included within their system or their religion is that they will do this. They will deny one of two things, if not both. They will deny Jesus' deity, or they will deny Jesus' sufficiency to save and to sanctify. That's what they do. They either denied Jesus' deity or his sufficiency, or both. So that's why you need to have settled his deity and his sufficiency. And so, all of what this is saying is, I want you to know, I want you to know, I want you to know that you know, that you know, that you know. Okay, that's great, but how? It's kind of like someone coming along and saying, you need to get in shape. Thanks, buddy, for pointing that out. How? How? what what, what do I do? And Paul's like, I'm glad you asked. This is how you get stabilized in your faith. This is where you need to be, but I'm not just going to say this is where you need to be. This is who you need to be. I'm going to show you how that's possible. And I love that the apostle Paul does that. And he says, not only do I want you to know, the only second point is I want you to grow. I want you to grow. In verse 5, he basically says, even though I'm not with you, I'm for you. I'm for you. I even rejoice seeing that you have a good discipline in your life, that you're stabilized in your faith in Christ. I want that to be true, just firmly rooted and stable with your faith in Jesus Christ alone and only. And then verse 6 and 7. These two verses are just fantastic. Look at what it says. This is the how. It says, therefore, as you have received Christ, underline that word, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, he says, so walk in him the same way in which you received Jesus as the Lord of your life, that's how you're supposed to now live the rest of your life. You received him by faith alone. So what you need to do is you need to walk in him by faith alone. Like, you you need to do both and. You you don't graduate from Jesus to something else. You, You graduate into Jesus, and then you continue in Jesus. You grow in him. You walk in him as Lord. You received him as Lord. I want you to be careful that one thing that you cannot do as a Christian, and I know that you might say, well, that makes sense, but how often have we done it, is that one thing that you cannot do is ever use or utter the words, no, Lord. That is an oxymoron. That is contradictory in terms. He is Lord, therefore you can't say no, you only say yes. He is Lord, and if you have received him as Lord, now therefore walk with him as Lord as you are walking, as you are living this life. In fact, this is the first imperative command that the Apostle Paul gives in the entire book of Colossians. The first one. It's been this many verses, and he hasn't said, do this. He hasn't commanded them to do anything. And now he says, walk. Live your life as one who has received Christ and live the exact same way as you received him. That's how you walk. Another way to put it is, every day, everywhere I go, I'm in him. What that means is, I don't get to leave him at the nightstand whenever I get up to go to work. He comes with me because I'm walking in Christ. There, there's nothing of which where I'm going to be able to, uh, uh, to, to, to go to the office and then say, okay, Jesus, before I go into the office, I want to I leave you in the car, and then I'm going to go into the office. You don't get to say, Jesus, you get to stay out of my bedroom. You, you don't get to tell me my sexual ethic because this is my bedroom. No, 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 I get to, to do that. It's no, wherever you go, Jesus is Lord. You receive him as Lord. You walk as Lord. You say, Jesus, this is, this is my screen. I can see what I want. I can download this app. I can read this. I can do that because of who I am. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's not your life anymore. It's his life. You received him as Lord, so you walk with him as Lord. He is Lord of your life. And the way that Jesus, or excuse me, the way that Paul articulates this of, okay, I'm supposed to walk in him, how do I do that? And in verse 7, what he does is he gives us four points or four participles. In class, you may or may not remember this, but whenever a participle comes into play, it's pointing off that main verb, and the main verb is walk. So it's like, okay, I'm supposed to walk in him. How? Here's how. Here's, here's four things that are helping explain that verb of walk. And he says, first of all, I want you to be firmly rooted. I want you to be firmly rooted. And what you're going to find is Paul begins to kind of use illustrations and ideas kind of interchangeably. He's talking about walking. He's talking about rooted. He's going to talk about being built up. He's kind of going agricultural. He's going city. He's doing all kinds of different things because he wants them to get it. And whenever he says, having been firmly rooted, your, your New Testament, your English translation is trying as best as it can to articulate what the Greek is trying to articulate, which is that basically this is a perfect tense of having been firmly rooted. It's this idea that a completed action has happened, and this is the continuing result. That you are in Christ, He saved your soul, and you're continuing to be rooted in Him. It's not something that was just done. It is done, but the results are ongoing. And that's the beauty of what we have in Christ. We're firmly rooted in him. That's where it begins. But then he switches from an agricultural term, like I said, now to kind of an architectural term. He goes on, he says, and now being built up in him. This this is a present tense. This is now continuous action. That when you come to faith in Christ, when you're a Christian, you have a foundation. But now we need to build upon that foundation. This is what we don't do. This is what a farmer would never do. A farmer wouldn't plant something over here and let, get it all firmly rooted, and then go over to this other plant on the other side of town and pick that fruit. That doesn't make any sense. In the same way, someone else wouldn't come along and dig the foundation, have the construction site of that building, and get everything settled and go, okay, now I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to begin to build up the walls. It doesn't make any sense. You build upon that which has the firm foundation. You see that which is rooted, you want to see that grow into fruition to have fruit, there's a continuation of building upon what you have already received. He says not only that, but that you would be established in your faith, just as you were instructed. This is a passive voice. It means you have been firmly rooted. You're growing in Christ, and it's 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 done. It's 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 accomplished. He even uses now kind of going from uh, the the farm life to now kind of going to the uh, uh, to the construction. Now going to the classroom. He says, you've been instructed in this. Don't allow yourself to be undermined of what you know to be true. And as a result of all of these, what takes place is that fourth and final point, that fourth and final participle, is that you're overflowing with gratitude. It's literally this idea of like a river and the banks overflow of that river. Like there's just so much that you are experiencing growing in Christ, rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, established in Christ that it just overwhelms you because you have such a firm foundation of who you are and who he is that you just overflow with praise, gratitude, and worship. You're brimming with confidence and stability. A way to illustrate this. As some of you know, my wife Tiffany, she, she enjoys plants quite a bit. So I've begun to kind of get to know them a little bit better. And one of the things that we did is we had to plant a bunch of plants to stop some erosion in our yard. And so we brought in some dirt. We, we put in these plants And as we put those in, it's been really easy for uh, these weeds from our yard, because our backyard is just, it's weeds. And as as those are kind of like, it seems like they're literally like moving, and they just want to eat those plants. It's just like they're just going this way. They're getting closer and closer. Where there was just a big dry patch of ground, it was literally about that wide. Now it's green of weeds, and it's just kind of getting closer and closer. And eventually... Over the course of the summer, it was just like, man, those weeds are now, some of them are getting into the flower bed, and we're actually losing some plants because they're literally, those weeds are coming in and they're choking out that which, uh, that, that which uh, we're, we're trying to make sure uh, is alive. But, but what's interesting to me is we have some of those plants that they've continued to, to live, and they've been further away from those weeds, and they've actually become deeper rooted into the ground and they've grown, and they've become strong. But what we want to be careful with is that those weeds don't get any closer into their, into their way because this is the thing. That plant, it's firmly rooted. It's alive. But as those weeds come in, they want to choke it out. They want to take its life from it. They want to keep it from being built up, to keep it from growing, to keep it from thriving. For some of you, the issue isn't, am I in Christ I believe in the deity of who he is, the sufficiency of who he is, but I'm wrestling maybe with some anxiety, depressions, just some ordinary life struggles of is he with me? And I would say in the same zeal and excitement that you had when you recognized I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and you received him as Lord, that we would not try to reconjure up that emotion, but that we would remind ourselves in our mind, yes, and in our hearts of who he is and that my life is deeply rooted in Him, and so I am alive in Christ. And though the things of this world may come, and things even on my own life, the flesh, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, lust of the world, it's all coming in, I'm, I'm going to make sure that those things are pruned out of my life so that I continue to grow, not just for growth's sake, but because I want to thrive. That's what I'm intended to be. That's who I'm intended to be. So in some ways, I, I think it's interesting, in some ways Paul is basically saying, You're a tree and a building in a classroom overflowing with praise. That's who you are. But can you confidently say that? Paul is kind enough to say, is your background a little bit more rural, a little bit more country? And you're wondering, how do I I live in Christ? Look at that tree. Be like that. Are you city? Are you city boy? How do I live in Christ? Look at that building. Be like that be built up have a deep foundation and continue to build up and grow continue to thrive in your relationship with him how know that you know the deity and the sufficiency of christ and that will stabilize you that stability that or excuse me that sufficiency that we have in jesus that he is everything that we need in him that you would walk away today and say there's nothing lacking in my life even if i don't have all the accoutrements of what i want i have christ i have everything that i need but then not just the sufficiency to know that, but the stability within your life, because I know that. Now, don't just stay where I'm at. Don't just simply say, I receive you as Lord and just live in that. I receive you as Lord and I grow. I I, I build, I mature in my faith. Not away from Jesus, but with Jesus. Only Jesus. Always Jesus. So I want to pray for y'all. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Father, I pray that having the Lord Jesus Christ in our life is to recognize that we have everything that we need for all time, for all eternity. And Father, to have Him is yes, to have everything, but to not to have Him is to have absolutely nothing at all. Father, we know that our joy and our peace and our meaning, I pray that our value, our purpose, our hope, just the fulfillment of life now and into eternity. Father, may we know that that is all bound up in Jesus. Father, I pray for the individuals in this very room that when they declare and place their faith, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would know that they have entered into an all-sufficient relationship because Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. But Father, may we not stop there, May we not think that, well, I got that, but Father, may we know that there's so much more available to us in Jesus and in only Jesus, that if He is indeed sufficient, if that is indeed true, Father, why don't we walk in You? Why don't we walk in Jesus? And so with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you just a question. In any aspect of your life, big or small, are you saying no, Lord, in an arena of your life? I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's with your finances. You're taking maybe, I don't know, more ideas from the world of how to deal with your finances than from Scripture. As I mentioned, maybe it's your sexual ethic. That's a part of my life, Lord, that I don't want you to intervene in. No, Lord. Maybe it's just what you do with your time. You're saying, No, Lord, this is my time. Maybe it's with your career. You have plans of where you want to go, where you want to be. Nothing wrong with dreams or plans, but have you gone to the Lord? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's not even a bad relationship. It's a good one. But in any area of your life, are you saying, no, Lord? what I want to invite you to do is what we do every week is you could take this time and pack it up figuratively and literally, put your Bible by your side, start daydreaming about what's next. But the reason why we have this time is because we believe that it's absolutely essential that if we've taken the time for the last 40 minutes to read the word, study the word, that if you don't get a chance to respond to the word, you'll probably walk away and by about 30 minutes from now, you probably won't think again about this. It's just kind of just what we do. We can't help it. We we get distracted. So now's the time to respond to what the Lord has said today. Maybe for some of you, it's, you feel like your your theology, the basic tenets of the faith, you are a little bit wishy-washy on. Could I explain that? study it. Practice it. Teach it. Friends, I just just don't want you to leave today not having spent some time with the Lord and maybe needing to repent of areas of your life that you said no to. Uh If you need to pray with somebody, I'd be more than happy to pray with you. I'll just be right over here. But after a bit after you spent some time responding to the Lord we're going to be singing a song that many of you are probably familiar with in Christ alone. My hope is that if you know (laughs) and have settled the deity of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ and you are in Him rooted that you would walk in Him and part of that is you overflow with praise. You're just a incredibly grateful for having such a stability in a life of chaos in a life of uncertainty i have stability in jesus christ i don't know about you but that's worth praising that's worth thanking and worshiping so father i pray in jesus name that we would respond to your word that we would respond to jesus And by the end, Lord, that we would praise your name because of all that you are and all that we have in Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. If you guys would, would you stand? If you need to pray, I'd love to pray with you. Before you go, make sure you praise with overflowing gratitude of Jesus Christ in your life.